0: Hey Nick. Hey Teddy. Do you remember the film A Walk to Remember?
1: Oh God. I forgot about that. Welcome to Oh God, I Forgot About That. A podcast that explores artifacts, return to the Millennium, Christian culture.
0: Here we are again.
1: <laughs> Talking yes. about a walk
0: to remember. <laughs> again.
1: Again. <laughs> We will never forget this walk, Teddy.
0: We will never, never.
1: forget it. Yeah. Uh, so, podcast listeners, listen, uh, we wanted to uh, tell you uh, in a frustrating set of technical slip ups, uh, we needed to re record this episode. So, if things feel a little stilted, or if, uh, you know, maybe we're a little more mechanical than usual, uh, or doubling back on ourselves it's cuz we've been through this already and uh not only are we repeating scripts for the second or third time at this point but we are also uh working to you know keep things fresh and remember the things we said that weren't written down so uh that's the problem with a semi scripted podcast like this is eventually you're going to miss things and you're going to mess up but here we are trying it again so Teddy So it
0: feels like we've had this walk before, but Nick, what uh, do you remember about a walk to remember?
1: It never struck me as a uniquely or exclusively religious object artifact. Um, There were for sure, uh, you know, Christian leanings to the film and the audience, like the target audience was Christian. I think that if this was made in 2020, 2022, uh, it would have been a pure flicks joint, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And of course you have the like switch foot loaded uh, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So that's all kind of built into this thing. Um, But I, I remember it being basically a cheesy chick flick, a cheesy, you know, I don't want to say rom com because I don't think it's trying to be funny most of the time. I think it takes no. itself deadly seriously. <laughs>
0: yes, very serious.
1: But but all, all told, you know the what I remember about it is playing into a lot of the uh, assumptions of purity culture and dating culture that we've come to know and love. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. It definitely is not. It would not have, in 2002, it would not have been considered a Christian mu- movie or a movie made, you know, only for Christians, right? It had mainstream engagement um, and consumption. I think that as our society has progressed and media has become, quote, more secular, end quote, um, yeah. A Walk to Remember has aged in such a way that it feels even more Christian now than it did in two thousand and two, which is interesting.
1: It is really interesting, and I wonder. So I'm just sort of like making a hypothesis here. I wonder how many other of these like crossover content, uh, piece artifacts feel the same way.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like returning
1: to Lifehouse, the band Lifehouse. If you remember them. Uh, they feel much more religious now. I think some mm-hmm. of their stuff, some of their stuff, just you know, classic, you know, early hots, you know, uh, adult contemporary style stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we talked before on the podcast about those pieces of like media from this, from our, from our era, the nineteen nineties to early two thousands, that were. M- bridging the christian and secular world and yeah. how at the time they were very controversial within the church and now i look back on them and i am like how was this people i was in a controversy this is like so clean you know or so so clearly spiritual or whatever right. um and a walk look, to remember is definitely one of those
1: yeah not to bring up amy grant in every single episode but we have to we yeah, kind of have it's, it's yeah uh But I I was listening to a 90s pop playlist the other day because I was feeling in a particular mood and Baby Baby came on and I was like, oh, wow, you all thought this was a problem, huh? (laughs) But yeah, no, it's very odd to see the things that were, for lack of a better term, scandalous at the time and now look so quaint. Yeah. You know?
0: Quaint is a quaint is a nice word for it. So I think when I showed when actually when I polled our listeners about A Walk to Remember, most of the people said like they were watching A Walk to Remember during this era. They knew about it. They really, really loved it. They wouldn't necessarily tie it explicitly to the church, um, but that it was a film that they cared about and watched a lot within their Christian era. So this might be one of the first artifacts that Or of all the artifacts we've done thus far, this one might be the most disconnected, and I say that loosely, from the Capital C Church. um, In that it does sort of, it dips into both worlds more, at least from what, nothing's coming to mind as more than this. That dips into both worlds of the secular and the Christian.
1: Yeah, I think so so as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, A Walk to Remember, just to recap, it is a 2002 American romance chick flick uh starring shane west no idea where that dude ended up and mandy moore our girl mandy moore oh, mandy um, Mandy, the best part of the film i mean a
1: hundred percent
0: yeah, yeah. It, all of it the acting the singing the whole thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: um the film is based on a book with the same name uh published by someone named nicholas sparks and that was published in 1999 I actually read the book many, many years ago as a teenager, and there are some substantial differences between the text and the movie. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the novel, um, because I don't think that it had the same sort of uh, popularity in the church as the movie did. But I did want to just emphasize that it was based on a novel. And interestingly, one of the biggest differences is that the novel actually takes place in like the 1950s, as opposed to. The film which takes place in the quote present the early 2000s
1: that's fascinating to me on so many levels i mean mostly because and i think we're going to see this throughout our discussion of the film uh christian culture always feels like a decade behind yep uh and this sort of plays on that rather effectively right you have sort of just all of the, the the sensibilities of the 50s of like white conservative culture in the 50s yep just with an early 2000s veneer over top of it
0: Hmm. yeah and there might be something about the film like the fact that it's this small town everyone in the town is religious they all go to the same church very little diversity that feels I mean like we did kind of go back 40 years even in comparison to the early 2000s so it's sort of funny how it's doing this contemporary narrative but even when it was trying to be contemporary it's still like the narrative kind of hinges on that context um, and that they couldn't escape it altogether. which I love I mean even Jamie dressed she isn't dressed like a 1950s person but Her clothing is so weird. Like, it it feels so archaic. (laughs) (laughs) She
1: she dresses very much in the the homeschooler of the late 90s vibe, right? But but that has some sort of, like, the only way I can describe it is, like, Luddite vibes.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Just very, like, homemade clothes, nothing form-fitting, nothing that actually fits her
0: right right Uh, yeah it's
1: yeah very and it's very disconnected and dissonant from what her peers are wearing
0: yeah it's like uh every so often i'll see someone you know wearing a like jean jean jumper dress right and i'm like oh it's a homeschooling mom jumpers yeah the jumpers it's like all that clothing that like you just pull it over your head and you put your arms through and you could be a size six or a size 16, but no one would really know. Um, it's just, it's that kind of clothing. <laughs> Always makes me think so, of
1: like Scrooge's nightgown and the, yeah. yeah, that kind of, as long as you're wearing that, you're fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Usually paired with sneakers. Um, don't know why. Uh, so anyway, all of that is to say that although it is take, it takes place in the late, late 1990s, I think that's what they were going for. Um it did not lose its roots. There's still connections to those roots of the original narrative, which was the 1950s. Um, yeah. And
1: so also f- I just, I have to point this out. I think it's hilarious sure. that you're like, hey, I was written by some guy named Nicholas Sparks, <laughs> <laughs> just like, you know, this asshole who, who knows, like, I'm not a fan of Nick Sparks, but by the same token, I don't think we can like gloss over how he, occupies this uh kind of crossover space, right? He makes me think of like a Beverly Lewis type writer. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but she writes a lot of the Amish romances that are set. They're very popular around the Amish you know, areas, and I don't get
0: that. But I know that they're very popular. I'm saying I don't think you can compare Nicholas Sparks and Beverly Lewis at all. Nicholas no. Sparks has some steamy sex in
1: his books. Okay. I mean, yeah. That I, mean, I don't know how I much don't.
0: Nick, I don't know how much Nick. I mean, you're calling him Nick here, so it sounds intimate. I don't know how much Nick Sparks you have read, um, but
1: <laughs> I love the idea of calling famous people by shortened versions of their name because one, it sounds more intimate. Two, it takes them down a peg, and three, I don't know. It just it's more entertaining to speak that way. But no, I'm I'm not particularly intimate with Nick's work. but uh i mean i've seen enough of his movies that i kind of like understand the vibes and i don't know i've watched those same women who take out the beverly lewis and the nick Sparks stuff take out like 50 shades of gray and things like that so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I i think they're sort of uh hey listen since it's written down and i'm coming up with all the imagery in my head it counts for less
0: Right. Yeah. And there is something it's good to note that there is always something kind of Hallmark-esque about Nicholas Sparks and yeah. the types of stories he produces. Um, they're always very like kind of straight, typical tropes. Um, maybe I am inflating how bad, how bad, um, how gratuitous, whatever the sex was, because I read it when I was a teenager and moms had like in my church had like meltdowns um when they like reviewed <laughs> of some of the passages did. yeah so um it's probably not an understatement to say that like nicholas sparks books were some of my earliest sex education to be honest i mean everything was Tragic, very but yeah yeah It kind of sad um but a typical homes christian homeschooler right um found out about all that at the library so uh i would say that the movies that the books are made of often. Um, don't tap into as much in the sex in the book Um, and certainly that's the case in a walk to remember most of the homeschooling moms i know would have been very upset actually if this movie led their kids to the the books if the movie served as like a gateway drug to the books they would be very upset (laughs) a gateway
1: orgasm if you will
0: right sure So the film was released in 2002, which is the height of our podcast era. It was only a modest success, but it was well-loved by American evangelical audiences because it had a relatively positive representation of Christianity while still being mainstream and not a traditionally Christian movie. So as I researched, I found that some churches even had film showings and a few bible studies like had even discussions based around the film with corresponding discussion guides. Did yeah. your church do anything like this?
1: Not that I remember, but to be okay. fair, I wouldn't have been the target audience for such a thing. Sure, sure. I mean, our yeah. church did that for Passion of the Christ. Our church did uh my pastor wasn't like too much on the emergent let's do mm-hmm. sermon series about music and movies and things like that. But, you know, like any decent youth pastor who Sidled up to the idea, you know, it it happened, and 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 that's the thing with everything that like Christian uh culture got its hands on at this time, it had to turn into a cottage industry where we've got you know book Bible studies and books and and mm-hmm. uh sermon series and all that kind of shit. It becomes a co- everything becomes its own cottage industry.
0: I love the idea that a walk to remember was too offensive, but Passion of the Christ is totally fine. That's divine
1: violence. Yeah, right, Uh, right, of course. course, Jesus wasn't having sex. If that were the problem, (laughs) then, I don't know, he was chased.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about how this particular narrative straddled the Christian and secular world, what it meant to Christians, how it was received by the church, and kind of the overall conversation surrounding the film, and how that all sits with me now, looking back on it. So I'm less framing this as a like purely Christian artifact of our era and more interested in, in th- this as an artifact that dipped into both worlds, kind of tried to please both, build kind of connections between the two worlds, and what kind of discourse that sparked from Christians at the time. Before I get into all of that, let's just talk about a really basic plot for those who have not seen the film or maybe do not remember it. And there will be spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie in the last, you know, 25 years, you're probably not going to see it. So, <laughs> Nick, could you give us, because you watched this specifically for me for this episode, which thank you for doing that. Um, could you give a little basic podcast. some of the things you do for this podcast? You're such, so, it's such, so sacrificial. Um,
1: just trying to be like Christ. That's... yeah so Would plot summary absolutely basic
0: summary please Yes. Yeah.
1: for for sure for sure our story follows our two main characters jamie played by mandy moore and landon he's our like protagonist the interesting thing about this the style of this chick play, is that it does seem to situate landon as the protagonist and mm-hmm. jamie as the love interest The story is Landon's to be told. His character arc, his development is sort of the focal point of whatever's going on here.
0: True. Yeah. So the story doesn't really evolve that much. I mean, especially in comparison to Landon. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Landon, uh, the, the movie starts out with Landon and his friends hanging out at the quarry. So that kind of gives you the vibes. Um at night at night and they (laughs) dare this kid to jump into the water at the quarry because then he'll be initiated into the friend group which okay
0: it's a very like stereotypical like teenager trope like i mean i don't know i was homeschooled if there was one perk of homeschooling it's that like there weren't really cliques I was never bullied. I don't know. My siblings didn't
1: talk to me for a whole week at one point. So there were clicks.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) But like the kind of stuff you see, like when you see this sort of stuff in like movies about high school, I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's how kids act. huh? Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe.
1: I mean, maybe I don't know. (laughs) See, again, this is, this is the like real effect of being a homeschooler. It's like, I don't know if this is real or not. Like I had some friends that were in, Homeschooled that were like you know lived on my block or or like friends of friends that went to school that kind of thing. um None of them ever really did this shit. Yeah, that I know. I mean, I know some of them were horrible people. <laughs> In <laughs> retrospect, I go, oh right, they were assholes. But like this kind of asshole, I, I didn't really see that. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Could be a real thing out there. Anyway, they do that. Uh, the kid kind of crashes and burns in his jump off the 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 i don't know i don't want to say diving board but whatever the scaffolding that they jumped off of uh the cops show up everybody runs away the kid that jumped went into the hospital landon's the only one who kind of like hangs back to try to help the kid sort of maybe and he gets sent instead of to the police to his school principal for -hmm. punishment and the school principal uh, assigns him to not be cool, to pay recompense <laughs> for his crime of hospitalizing right. another child.
0: Right, rather than, like, severe consequences. What is he punished with, Nick? What, what does he, what is he, the poor guy, what is he asked to do?
1: There are few <laughs> sufferings on the scale of Landon's. <laughs> I want you to understand that these are the true consequences of cancel culture, y'all. Landon. (laughs) Teddy rolled her eyes so loudly, it distracted me. Um, Landon is punished for hospitalizing a child and crashing a car. He is sentenced to be in the school play, the lead in the the school play, (laughs) and teaching slightly younger children math
0: yep yep that's what he asked. A- end of punishment yep no talk of even like losing a license no talk of no he drives any...
1: later in the film often
0: <laughs> yeah no like a couple of weeks later yeah. like he's driving other people yeah so i mean it's just so funny because it's like again it's so much going back to like this very flat one-dimensional like cool kid trope right that oh, like yeah the, the thing that would change Landon's life and just flip him upside down is being in a school musical play whatever I don't know is it a musical They. Sing, I don't know she sings me. yeah yeah, yeah. They, the most
1: of the time that we see the play she's singing
0: singing yeah hence you know? Mandy Moore so okay so yeah, I crashes, mean if you don't use car, Mandy Moore yeah
1: he crashes the car he gets he gets sentenced to uh to, to be in the play and to to teach kids math. Uh and it is through doing this that he encounters Jamie. Uh Jamie kind of gives him a like a light scolding that he's not taking this seriously and he cares more about his friends being cool than than actually doing the right thing, which, yeah, when you punish a kid by making them do good things, their heart ain't gonna be in it. That's how that works. And then we get him all of a sudden very very interested in her
0: yeah it happens Uh, very fast
1: yeah like i think we see them make fun of her in like the scene before and then the next scene he's like so you want to go out she says no and he's immediately head over heels there's nothing so romantic to a straight white man as a woman saying no right right so he decides to pursue her and to that end improve himself and make himself better. So we then get a montage of personal improvement for Landon. And I swear the music is convinced that he is mainlining plasma into orphan's veins. I swear (laughs) he's just practicing his lines alone Yeah, and learning how to help someone learn math.
0: This kid is doing, I mean, typical for I feel like men, um, he is doing bare minimum. And he. the congratulations this guy is receiving is like, it's crazy.
1: Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. We OK. Yeah. Again, we gave it to the, him as punishment and we are praising him and giving him the lead in the play and talking about how amazingly he saved the play and and is changing these children's lives and getting the girl... uh, He's doing bare minimum.
0: And to be fair, in the midst of him falling in love with her, he is also simultaneously kind of treating her like shit. Like, one thing we didn't mention yet is that he is struggling to learn his lines because he has no experience in theater and doesn't want to be there. So he asks Jamie to basically tutor him in theater and acting, right?
1: <laughs> um, to, to be <laughs> that is so great.
0: <laughs> and uh, Jamie, he, And she does because she's a good Christian girl. And she's like, I'm going to spend time doing this. And then when they start hanging out practicing and he's like enjoying her company, He, like, lies to his friends about spending time with her. And there's this amazing... Because he's ashamed of being around her because he's an ass. Um, And then there's this great scene, which all of you Walk to Remember fans, I'm sure you remember, where he kind of denies hanging out with her in front of the friends. I just got, like, a real Christ-like... Yes, I was just going to make the ...in front of his friends.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is biblical. uh, Like, she biblically turns him down.
0: okay so she did he denies her in front of his friends and then he goes and apologizes and what does she do
1: she She denies denies him him in (laughs) front of her father
0: i love it so there's this great line where he's like jamie like i'm so sorry and she's like oh i think i get where you're coming from landon like she's being sarcastic you want to be secret friends and he's like yeah, yeah, I, you're right. That's what I want, and he, it's like you read my mind. And then she has this great wi- line where she's like, "And now you can read mine." And she just gives him this like bitch face that he so deserved. <laughs> and then she literally slams the door in his face. So I will say a perk of Jamie, I think, is that although she is Christian and compassionate and very much the like good girl of the town, she does set boundaries. And she's sure of herself. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah and again, like, I, I think she's just a lovely character. Like, yeah, I have very few complaints about her. I, I have a couple big ones. We'll talk about. them. But I, I have very yeah. few complaints about her in the context of this world that we've set up. You know, like when she slams the door in front of his face, he just stands there screaming at her house until her <laughs> dad comes out. I swore this guy. Was gonna and pull a shotgun. Like,
0: Get the hell off my porch! Yeah. Right, like he didn't say that, but yeah, yeah,
1: no, how dare you invoke hell? Uh, not even to protect a daughter.
0: What a great, uh what a great alternate ending to a walk to remember. Do you remember how, like, on the old DVDs, they'd have alternate endings? Like, one, it would just be like yeah. the pastor taking his shotgun oh, yeah. out and just shooting Landon in the back of the head, like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Imagine. That's so good. There's a, there's this YouTube channel that's been around for years. It's how it should have ended. And it's right, just somebody, right. yeah, that's that's how this should have ended.
0: And the, the walk to remember is him walking away from the house. Bam! Yeah. But all that to say, Jamie does set some boundaries in the beginning, but she eventually falls for him because he has so much to offer her.
1: Yeah. He's so good at saying his words in the play. He's a real good <laughs> word sayer. <laughs> He's a real good word sayer. And then later, he does the shooting hoops with the kid to teach him geometry, which feels like a failure and not actually a good way of visualizing when you can just draw lines. Uh, it makes and it more abstract, like so in my opinion. This. Yeah, she's yeah. so touched by this uh, that basically she gives him another chance. And yeah. they start spending more time together and his friends make fun of him for it. And he uh, buys
0: her a sweater, a new sweater, which was right. an upgrade. The sweater was an upgrade. It was. Mm-hmm. It, she went from like a kind of beigey, gross, kind of vomity shade to this like really soft, pretty pale pink. Um, so well done on that, Landon. Um, but so they oddly fall in love, and then everything from there happens quite fast. So fast. So fast. They have like a couple very intimate dates. Things are going really, really smoothly. And then one night at dinner, they start talking about college. And here's where the spoiler comes in. She's like, "As for me, I will not be going to college because I have leukemia." Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a rather dramatic reveal. He's like, "What are your college plans?" And she's like, "I don't have any. I don't have any. No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say it." And then he eventually badgers it out of her, and she's like, "Fine, leukemia. Okay." (laughs)
0: actually her acting in that scene though is like pretty good oh yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. yeah.
0: i mean her tears felt believable you know um
1: so are you just gonna undercut all of the jokes that i make in this episode is that how a
0: jamie apologist aren't i yeah Yeah.
1: you're really you're really leaning into this it's great sure we need to talk about a good woman here but let's actually (laughs) take a minute and use this time to besmirch jamie a little bit she needs to be taken down a bit uh she has this list we haven't talked about this list yet but basically it's what we would now consider a bucket list she has her leukemia she's going to die just like her mother yeah because we know her mother's died we never are told what it is but uh for all this movie knows leukemia could be hereditary (laughs) like this movie doesn't really care about what it is it's just she has dead mom syndrome right um So she has this bucket list of things she wants to accomplish. And Mm -hmm. she tells Landon a bunch of things that are on this list. And he goes, oh, okay, so what's number one? She doesn't tell him. It's another thing that she withholds for a while. And the only reason I think this should besmirch Jamie at all is that her number one thing that she wants to do before she dies Mm -hmm. is get married to a man as heterosexually as possible
0: obviously there's another detail though what's the third detail in the church where her mother got married
1: that's right in the church where her mother got married i forgot about that part yeah because it's a throwaway it feels like such a throwaway right like we have this we do have the moment in the church but the church is on screen for 12 seconds yeah like we see her walk up To the to the to get married and we have like the little I almost said the dad doing the eulogy, you know, dad doing the service. (laughs) That was dark even for me. But like that's it. It's just she's like, I wanna get married. I wanna get married in the church my mom got married in. Like, you know what I mean? It just feels like such an aside. The Mm -hmm. mom her her connection to her mother feels like it's just a plot device that they bring up when necessary and they put it aside when it's not. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think that's true. I think that given the context of who Jamie is and where the community she's in and the family she has, it makes sense for that to be her number one thing. But is it a bummer? Yes. Would I have loved for her to say that she wanted to like, you know, go be a medical doctor and like find the cure for her leukemia? That would be nice. But it also makes total sense within the context, I think of the
1: narrative i mean within the context of the narrative and within the context of christian culture right sure there's very of the
0: time yeah yeah
1: in in the throes of purity culture there is nothing that you can achieve that is higher than heterosexual marriage right like even for men like it is the pinnacle and the point of it all right you have a good job you have whatever so that you can have your little family unit yeah right yeah
0: so they get married um and then at the end uh landon narrates and says that sadly jamie dies um but they basically had one summer together as a married couple right so jamie got her number one thing she got the love of her life she dies and then like landon goes on to basically live this like amazing life like he goes to medical school um is
1: it medical school or law school
0: i think it's medical school
1: i just couldn't remember i was wondering either way he sh- goes to one yeah. of those like hey you've got to go to school for a bunch of years like and you have really something useful." Yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah like you were a failure up until the junior year of high school um and now you're in medical school so right. good for him um so that's the plot of a walk to remember um very well, Barry- importantly
1: he comes back to the dad afterwards oh right
0: yeah he comes and, back to yeah the dad, he does right. come
1: back to the dad and they like share a little moment together because now dad likes him apparently um right Again, that's another relationship that just is not developed. It's just, no, I hate you, get away from my daughter. Dad, I like him. Okay, he's fine. You're my pal.
0: Yeah, the only pushback I would give to that is that it does feel like there's this blip of the movie where it's like what I would broadly call Landon proving himself. And it's where he's like out all night long making the telescope and like the dad's starting to bring him coffee. And there's this sort of weird like, you see the dad like it's a very classic patriarchal like i'm proving myself to the father figure right yeah and you see the dad slowly warming up slowly warming up and then like it's almost like he wins him over and that's Mm -hmm. part of winning jamie over as well um sure yeah so okay so that's the plot talking a bit about the film's reception among christians this is what i want to talk about in my experience at a small rural pentecostal church there was some division over this film um so much so that although a lot of the teen girls were watching it and talking about it we couldn't actually get it like approved i don't now in retrospect i'm not sure who was doing that approving but we couldn't get it approved for a formal viewing in the church itself um and I was curious now as a grown adult far away from the church, I was curious about whether or not this controversy was representative of like the larger American church or just my own community. Cause sometimes that does happen where like the thing I thought was like completely classic Christian 2000s was really just my own crazy church, right? Yeah, I've had that um, experience
1: too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you get that like little regional things or like your friend group having a problem with a particular thing, you know? Yeah. Like, There's just a stupid example of it, but I remember very vividly, like being in my co-op group, like the five families that were together, you know. And we were Lord of the Rings had just come out, and I was explaining it to like my friends. But one of the youngest kids was in the room, and I used the word orc, and her mother clapped her hands over her ears and was like, "No, don't, don't say that around." Is it? Does she know what an orc is? No, but it's an evil thing. You shouldn't say it around her yeah like i don't think other christian families had a problem with the word orc particularly Mm -hmm. in lord of the rings it's a unique weird thing sorry for the little tangent go ahead
0: no it's okay and i was sort of sitting here thinking how much of this also just kind of goes back to pentecostals i don't know there's something Mm, about that particular branch of christianity at the time and the hyper obsessiveness on, like, all things darkness, evil, where, like, things just got real bad shit. Like this is really... the same yeah. woman
1: who told my mother that she had a, and I quote, fiction addiction.
0: Yeah, I remember you saying that.
1: And uh, told her that in order to read anything that's not the Bible, she should spend equal amounts of time reading the Bible in a day. So if she wanted to do an hour of reading in fiction, she should do an hour of Bible reading. And that sounds insufferable.
0: 27 minutes with Nicholas Sparks, 27 minutes in the book of Matthew. It's the only fair. You yeah, know? but OK, so here's how fair. you game
1: the system. You do 27 <laughs> minutes in Nick Sparks and then you do 27 minutes in the Song of Songs.
0: <laughs> right, right. I like that. That's very literature professor of you. Yeah, yeah, pairing it, making it conceptually, you know, similar, thematically similar. OK. So anyway, I was curious, it was the the age old debate of was this everybody or was just this just the crazy church I was in? Um, So to prepare (laughs) for this, (laughs) I researched and I looked through archives of Christian reviews published between roughly 2002 to 2005. And I wanted to get a sense of what Christians were saying then. So what the discourse was, what they liked about a walk to remember, what they disliked, And I'm here to report to you what I found. So these are not modern day reviews on the film, of which there are a few. These are all reviews from the time. So kind of transporting us back for a second to the discourse of 2002. Jumping
1: right into the Wayback Machine altogether.
0: The Wayback Machine. Okay, buckle up. Two major things that Christians seem to like. Number one, they love that Jamie Sullivan, or they love, that Jamie Sullivan, Mandy Moore, was a positive representation of Christianity. So this is something that came up in the reviews over and over again. And on one hand, it seems kind of obvious, right? Oh, she's a positive representation of Christianity. But I think what's interesting about this is that this was particularly important to Christians at the time because there was such a popular rhetoric or discourse being circulated at the time that Christians were being horribly represented in the media. Um, maybe this is still a thing people are saying. I'm not sure. I'm not in the church anymore. But at the time, every all these reviews, quote, in a world where Hollywood, you know, never ceases to take a hit at Christians or in a world where the media refuses to ever show the good side of Christianity, we have a walk to remember, right? So there was this like, There's this, Jamie Sullivan was a good representation of a Christian, and that's so important because no one else is doing that anywhere. Any thoughts on this?
1: It reminds (laughs) me of that phrase, like, if you think that everyone is an asshole, you probably should do some self-reflection. It feels a little bit like that. I also, like, do totally get it like read any stephen king book or any movie based off stephen king and there's this villainous you know vitriolic uh christian character fundamentalist yeah Yeah.
0: that's true i guess if you compare jamie sullivan to the mom and carrie i mean (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. jamie is a very balanced person (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean but that that's Kind of then where I come back to the other side, which is there are some things you should be criticized in stories for. Mm -hmm. That's part of the goal of story, right? And popular narratives. And also one further, like, yeah, okay, Jamie's a good representation, but she's also very milquetoast. Yeah. Like everything feels so vanilla here
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know there's nothing remarkable about any of it it's just okay cool We made her as flat as possible that's kind of an interesting play here oh she's such good representation of a christian woman right she has no character growth (laughs) or character personality beyond i'm gonna stand my ground and also i want to get married
0: well, I think, and maybe the even more cynical uh, perspective is that she's the perfect <laughs> Christian woman. She's a yeah. virgin and she dies. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I mean, it's that's the very, very cynical route there is that, like, we have this person whose entire life was basically had potential to be amazing, to be full of growth and to be full of success. She seems smart, she seems clever, um, but she spends her life pining for a relationship she is virginal and pure until she finds it she gets maybe six months of happiness and then she dies what's what makes a woman more perfect than being dead right i mean it's it's sad but you know i mean so yeah that's the more cynical perspective but so when christians are like she's a good representation it's like okay what did she do i mean yeah, she like had a core what are you system. actually
1: saying here? Yeah. What are
0: you actually saying? Yeah, she yeah. fell in love and she died. And in her 17 short years, she professed a faith that she was raised in. Those are her three. Those are her things.
1: With, so, no, with no real persecution happening to counter push against that.
0: Well, the only thing I would say that grants maybe her faith a bit more nuanced is that She is and she kind of alludes to this, that like she's had to reckon with the like, I believe in God and I love God, but I'm also dying, you know, and there and and that provokes doubt in me. But the answer that she comes to is the exact answer that the church wants. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like where she lands. So it's good. I think that she has those questions and she alludes to this like, you know, it's been awful that like I'm so young and I'm sick. And I also have this God who supposedly loves me. But then that very quickly then turns to, but how could I deny him? Because God is like the wind. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there, right? Like, we so quickly pivot to the, like, obvious conclusion that Christians want.
1: There's a a podcast that I love that is just a bunch of, like, comedians and skeptics making fun of Christian movies. And they call this jingly keys. Like, oh, here's the problem of evil. And, oh, look, we're going for a car ride. We're gonna, we're gonna go over here come on we're gonna leave and you just jingle the keys instead of actually answering and then that's i mean that's what's happening here
0: so perfect or yeah. what do you also call them um that like thought terminating cliches
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah
0: that feels exactly like what's happening here it's like mandy or jamie brings up this like the question that plagues the world right like why do good things happen? why do bad things happen to such good people and then, within like two seconds, she's like, er, "Anyway, um, so God, though, is still real." <laughs> and Landon's like, "Wow, like, so, yeah." Well, and
1: and and <laughs> you know, I I don't want to go off on this because this is a this is a, like a a, a rant a for me, but for us, yeah. yeah, but the thought-terminating cliche really frustrates me. Like, it's a principle, and we'll just use this to like clarify this phrase. It is what it sounds like. It's it's something that we repeat over and over so that we can stop thinking about something so that we can Mm -hmm. sort of pull back now
0: from a contradiction, especially especially from a contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not something that is unique to Christian fundamentalism or religious fundamentalism. It is not. Not at all. It is something that, you know, like people do all the time, you know, like, oh, you know, nobody's perfect. They say of someone who's (laughs) abusive and horrible and terrible It's like, okay, you just use this little cliche to actually stop yourself from approaching cognitive dissonance or an upsetting revelation. Right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. also part of this.
0: Everything happens for a reason, right? right. That's like the sort of non-believer version of that yeah. bullshit. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. if it didn't have a reason, then this is just tragic, and I have to face my grief. Right. So I will yeah. stop it. But backing up for a second the use of those things is a sign that an t- idea is not being reckoned with or wrestled with properly. Mm-hmm. But that is the exact same thing that Landon and her father and the rest of the town laud about her faith. Right. One of my favorite yeah. professors in college who was regularly getting in trouble because it was a Christian school. <laughs> uh, he was a philosophy professor. And he said, the hallmarks of faith are an inability or an unwillingness to change one's mind, a willingness to accept gaps and holes as part of one's logic and reason Mm. and a necessity to accept a number of foundational assumptions that are unprovable. Mm. So, and this is the conclusion that he drew the hallmarks of faith are the exact same hallmarks of stupidity. And he goes, I'm not trying to insult people. He did a good job without trying. But because I'm not trying to insult people. But notice, if we're gonna say that faith can be held well, we cannot also say that these three things are the hallmarks of that faith. And that's exactly yeah. what the, the thought ter- terminating cliche and this sort of like praise of this kind of faith is rooted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so that was one of the first things that Christians in my reviews most consistently seemed to like. The second was that they loved that there could be romance without gratuitous sex and sexuality. Um this This was funny to me. This was funny to me because in my church there was definitely a sense that there was still too much sex in the film, (laughs) which I think when whenever I am encountered with this, so like whenever like I I think oh this was like a huge controversy right, and then I like go and look on the internet and like look up the archives and see that like it wasn't a controversy. I'm like it's just yet another reminder of just how crazy. I mean I'm sorry I'm going back to the original point about is this a me thing or is this a culture at large thing No
1: it's it's a huge thing to wrestle with in like our context like it
0: Yeah I mean
1: I don't know that there was a controversy about that but I remember it being brought up I remember yeah. like oh they spent a night together and the nighttime is when sex happens
0: Right <laughs> <laughs> right, that's okay, so thank you for bringing that up, because at my church, the two big things that were brought up as like times where like sex was like too much in the film was one, Landon and Jamie spend a night in a cemetery together looking at the stars, despite the fact that Jamie draws a very clear boundary that like yep. they won't be sleeping on the same blanket, and like Landon like takes out a second blanket and is basically like, "I had a feeling you would say that, and that puts the second blanket down. I mean, I don't know. I I'm a literature professor. I am pretty well trained in being able to pick up on sexual innuendo in literary texts. That's um, half of what we I, do, honestly. It's pretty much all we do. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I don't watch that scene and think ha, 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 that's what they say. But I'm pretty sure they were screwing around. I mean, do you? I took no, it literally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, on a literal level of what happens. He's like, hey, look, I brought us a blanket. She shuts it down and says no. And he goes, mm-hmm. OK, cool. I I assent to your lack of consent. Here is a second yes. blanket for you. Yes. So then on the metaphorical the next... level, I was going to say the metaphorical level is we have two blankets. That's not one bed being shared. Dad, right. And then the next morning.
0: The next morning I was going to say is that he literally says to his, his mom's like, you spent the night with her. And he's like, no mom, it's not like that. It's different with her, you know? So right. I'm not sure why Christians like they were in such a chokehold over this because I really do think that they did not have sex in that, in, in that night. Um, I don't think they have sex at all until they're married. Um, or at least the film does not at all give us any solid evidence that they do. And then yeah, there's the second it's thing a very
1: that, chaste film. Yeah.
0: Very chaste. And then the second, well, no, not very chaste, Nick, because in a very weird scene, the high schoolers who do not like Jamie take a picture of her face and paste it on top of, like, a kind of Playboy-esque model and then hang it around the school with, like, big bolded letters Virgin Mary, but it looks insane because their Photoshop skills suck. And so, it's oh, my very... gosh, they
1: cut out a black and white picture of her face <laughs> and, and like glue photo. sticked it on a color photo of a woman in a bikini.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And it like, I, I, what? What even and is Jamie, this?
0: And Jamie, bless her heart. I mean, she has a meltdown over this.
1: Yeah, like, poor kid. Like, yeah, again, I get it. Like kid. childhood trauma, teenage trauma. It can be off of <laughs> stupid things. I get it it can happen that way but also what is what is supposed what is happening here what kind of prank is this
0: it's so weird because it's not fooling anyone like in today's world right with like ai imagery and stuff like if someone creates like a pornographic image of someone this is horrible right because like it really looks like the person I mean,
1: revenge porn and deep faking is, is a real thing that happens. Right. This is not that.
0: So the only thing I can think is that because this is 20 years ago or whatever, this is like the very seed, the very grain of that, you know, the very, very seed of that general idea. And it's mortifying for Jamie because she spends her whole life in a jumper and she's extremely modest and extremely chaste and even just the mere association with this image is like horrifying to her, to be fair. And she's young.
1: This reminds Um, me a little bit of, of like, (laughs) when I was dismissed from the, from the Bible college, one of the things that they were upset about is I showed a Ted talk and for 12 seconds of the Ted talk, they mentioned sex toys. They did not say the word dildo. They didn't say anything like they just said, they mentioned sex toys, and I was scolded and said, "Well, now what am I? What's going to happen to me? I'm a teenage girl, and you've mentioned sex toys, and the boy next to me is going to be wondering if I use sex toys." It's like this is a number of weird levels that you, a grown ass adult man, got to.
0: <laughs> right. But but
1: it but it reminds me of that kind of like guilt or shame by association.
0: Yeah, by like mere association, because I get. I mean, if someone took a if someone took that image of that person and put my face on it, I would like practically find it funny. I'd be like, "Mm, who do you think you're fooling? You know? I mean, I don't know. So I don't, (laughs) Yeah. so I guess all of this rambling to say, I don't really get the joke or I don't really, so I don't really get the prank is what I'm saying. Um, Right. Because it does, it barely even feel it's not clever at all. But I, but the point is that the, the moms in my church were very upset by this image, um, called it pornographic. And there sure. was one mother in particular who took the literal VHS tape, like out of the VHS player and walked it out to the garbage can on the curb. And that was like, what, 15 bucks in the 90s, like.
1: <laughs> For those younger uh, <laughs> listeners, a VHF tape is a plastic brick with flammable tape inside that you looked at, to <laughs> that you used to watch movies
0: right sorry i should have clarified
1: that yeah but no that's Um, like that i mean again you're just literally like burning stuff like you're throwing shit you purchased it already you spent the money the people who are tallying did this sell well have counted your money and what i mean i guess it worked because it stuck with you how many years later
0: it stuck with me so many years so many years so major things that christians disliked about the film in the reviews that i read i'll let you guess can you want to do you want to guess one what christians disliked about the film this is not teddy's church this is christianity at large
1: right so the the like this was too sexual was teddy's church and mm-hmm. the like community at large the articles that you dove into and, and found all that yep that's what we're talking about now okay
0: Yep. by and large i mean the reviews i read they liked jamie thought she was a positive representation of christianity and they really appreciated that there could be a romantic film without gratuitous sex so the, sure. the other stuff i said was just me but so what were some of the what do you think were some of the things christians dislike more broadly
1: i mean when asking for a list of things that christians don't like
0: i know my I know. go-to
1: answer is it wasn't christian enough <laughs> There was not enough Christian. Um, there don't, was not
0: enough Christian. Yeah, I, love that.
1: I think that's got to be the number one. I don't know that the movie uses the name Jesus at any point. So I would assume that like part of the structure that they're complaining about.
0: You're so smart, Nick, because that was one of the major concerns that popped up for people. It's simply drumroll. Yeah not christian enough the film that wasn't it helps if this is the second record (laughs) to be fair i think you got it actually on the first i'll give you that one i'm pretty sure you
1: I'm,
0: you I'm i'm pretty sure you did um okay so i have an article from christianity today that was published in 2002 russ russ bremer uh nick could you read the passage that i have put out there for you
1: Unfortunately, the movie reflects a phenomenon observable in the church through much of the United States. The strong spiritual woman who wears the spiritual pants in <laughs> the uh, These women marry the, quote, good, backslidden, or unregenerate men. These men tend to love and respect their wives and support their families, but rarely set foot in church. Landon clearly states he doesn't believe in God and challenges Jamie's fate point-blank. She responds poetically that just as she can't see the wind, but sees and feels its effects, she relates to God in the same way. Landon only conforms to what Jamie requires of him, not to God. I guess at least he is headed in the right direction. Or is he? As an exemplary Christian girl, Jamie should know better than to be quote, unequally yoked. Her father puts up a good fight to keep his troubled this troubled boy away from his daughter, but in the end, he surrenders to her tenacity as he sees landon changing and Jamie growing more and more in love with him. This point may make a walk to remember the ultimate quote, missionary dating movie those who ascribe to such a technique.
0: Similar to what Nick just read, a different writer, uh, Chris Chrisada Troy writes in a different 2002 Christianity Today piece that quote, the fact that Mandy Moore's character was a Christian seemed to go on the back burner after the scene where we see her sing in church. And it seemed to me that it was simply an excuse for her to be able to sing in the movie to make up for her lack of acting skills. Oh, no! <laughs> I was sorely disappointed in the lack of references to God during the movie. When they did refer to more Christianity, when they did refer to Moore's Christianity, it was just very general. So the overall question here is almost whether Jamie was Christian enough for the movie to satisfy Christians. Thoughts, Nick?
1: That's my nuanced approach. No, I mean I I get it, especially in hindsight from 2023, where we have pure flicks and Hallmark doubling down on like the explicitness of Christian representation. Mm -hmm. Right? Um but also like a strong spiritual woman who wears the spiritual but again, it's not even a problem with her. But the role that she's taking, like she's the leader in the family. They're married for six months. She doesn't have a kid. Yeah, it's not even like a, you know, nuclear family unit that's being corrupted by a backslidden man. Right. And this goes to something that I like get really bothered about in in Christian like language. Oh, it's not enough to be a good person. Doesn't matter that you do good things. That's Mm -hmm. irrelevant to the conversation. They would obviously say something like, well, no, of course you're supposed to be good. But that also doesn't matter because they'd say a horrible person who repents at the last second gets it. So good works don't matter. Being a decent person doesn't matter. So all the good shit that Landon does, the changes he does make if you want to buy into them at all, like doesn't matter.
0: Mm hmm. And what's frustrating too is that it's not even like this is a film that's just about a good person, you know. That Jamie is someone who just volunteers and has a lot of philanthropy and altruism and involved in good, wholesome things, but isn't religious. Jamie is incredibly religious. Like, walks around with a literal Bible, a literal Bible. she sings in the choir i mean i don't understand her dad's a invas- pastor
1: she's doing things with the church right like there's so much that just makes her explicitly christian
0: explicitly christian so i don't she reads scripture aloud to him so i don't entirely understand like i'm not sure what these reviewers would have wanted her to do um i don't think it's
1: about her I think it is like they might say it's about her because, of course, we have to blame women for things. But I think they're complaining about him. They're complaining that we don't have the explicit conversion moment, right? We don't have him praying in the rain, screaming, God, why would you take her from me? And then quietly accepting like we don't have that literal come to Jesus moment. That's what I think they're complaining about.
0: That's true. I guess I was thinking when they say, like, I was disappointed in the lack of references to God, and that after she sings in the choir, her faith goes on the back burner. I was like, did we watch the same movie? Probably not. (laughs) So that was one major thing. You hit the nail on the head with that one. And then the second major thing was that they believed it was dangerous and ultimately unbiblical for Jamie to be in a relationship with Landon. Um, so something that That's comes that, up a like lot. That's that unequally
1: yoked thing?
0: Correct, yeah. So right. something that comes up a lot in the reviews is that Jamie's relationship with Landon gives Christian youth a flawed message that it's okay for Christians to date non-Christians um, and that we can like save people through dating them. And one thing I have said to you repeatedly, I can't remember if it was on or or off recording, but that this is one of those like annoying times where you're like you're reading something a a conservative christian says and you're like i agree with you but for completely different reasons like right like or like you're right (laughs) but
1: you're wrong about why you're right
0: (laughs) right like or we were driving on the same road and we did not end up at the same place um right so Isaac Stevens, in a Focus on the Family article, says, quote, To begin dating Landon, knowing that he is an unbeliever, puts Jamie in a precarious position. And if her actions are emulated, they will place young Christians in potentially compromising relationships. Then, Bruce Donaldson voiced similar concerns in a movie guide article. Nick, could you read
1: that one? The film has little to say about Christianity. The Christian faith of Jamie's character is merely a characteristic, not a plot point. She could have been any faith or culture, and they could have written the story around that without altering it too much. I think a key scene is when Carter visits her in the hospital. Jamie says she has a gift for him, and then qualifies that with, Don't worry, it's not a Bible. This is a solid Christian who doesn't even make the slightest attempt to share her faith with the man she loves. I kept waiting for the eventual scene of faith, and it never happened. The Christian message I took from the film is that Christians are really nice people who tend to volunteer a lot and only listen to Christian music. They take marriage very seriously, and when they become adults, they're often overprotective of their children. Certainly not a bad portrayal of Christians, but is it really an image worthy of acclaim?
0: So I joked that, oh, you know, I, I find myself agreeing, but for completely different reasons. So I've, you know, I've become sympathetic to this critique as I've grown older. Um, I don't have strong feelings about Christians dating non-Christians, other than like in practice, it seems complicated. Um, but I do agree that we shouldn't like glorify the good girl changes bad guy trope. And I think that Christians are just as guilty as that of that as the mainstream culture, if not more. Um, one of the major lines of the film is like, Landon says, Jamie has faith in me. She makes me want to be different. She makes me want to be better. And, you know, it's like, that's nice. And hopefully all of us have partners that make us want to be better. But this can definitely be taken too far in heterosexual relationships. There's this sense that sometimes women just have to have it more together and that they can like win over the guy with their good sense and train the guy to be better and just such a loser's game, and it sets up women for such exploitation. And I mean, at the worst, it sets women up for like really horrible things. And in the more mild form, it just sets them up for such unequal partnership, you know. um But I don't think that's really what this Bruce Donaldson is referring to. Or if he is, it's like a fragment of what I just said.
1: I- I'm sorry. You you don't think that a man named Bruce <laughs> working at Focus on the Family has the best interests of women's emotional and relational health.
0: Okay, Nick, it's movie guide. So, oh, I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry. Right,
0: Bruce. Bruce could be very different than what you're thinking, but
1: well, yeah, I won't. I, I won't throw shade at Bruce, but I will okay. say a hundred percent that's not what he means here. <laughs> right, like, right. I absolutely hate that trope. I hate it so. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to make this about men, but. As a man, like, you don't want to be, you don't want to improve yourself to to improve yourself. You don't want to just work to be the best version of yourself that you are. The number of dude bros I hear talking about being the best quarterback you can be or being the best left fielder you can be in sports, like, you don't want to just be the best human you can be. I don't know. I just I don't see the like, I don't get the I only now want to be a good person because I have met someone who requires that of me. You know, Mm -hmm. it reminds me they like you don't need a daughter or a sister or a mother to think that like sexual abuse or or abuse of women is harmful or bad. Like Mm -hmm. just because you don't need a point of connection to 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 say this thing is a bad thing and you know it all comes back to like absolutely relationships can be a source of change and self-betterment and that's all fine
0: mm-hmm.
1: but holy shit do we romanticize that so much and mm-hmm. a lot of the 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 rom- uh romance language is Oh, well, you know, of course he's a shitty person. He's a guy. What do you expect? You just have to find the right one that your key unlocks the better version of. right, you've right. got the upgrade codes for one dude uh, right, and like, oh <laughs> my God, it's exhausting, and I'm not even the one doing it.
0: Oh, trust me, it's exhausting. I mean, I don't do it, but you know it's exhausting to hear about. Um, I think that, as you know English teachers too, one thing that we've been really programmed to be as curious about narratives that are very popular, right? And by narratives, I don't even mean specific titles. I just mean like stories that are circulated over and over and over again.
1: We could use a a literature professor word and say archetypes or tropes, right? Patterns of storytelling.
0: And this is a pattern, right? It is exactly like you said. We are all wanting to be better sometimes for our loved ones. And I think different people in our lives inspire us and empower us to be better in different areas. But this reoccurring, the, pers- the the persistent nature of this narrative, that there will be a bad guy or a guy who's just kind of, you know, not doing well in life in whatever way, and will then become better through the patience, love and will of a woman. is just a little too popular for comfort. Um, and a walk to remember just taps into it perfectly. And then Jamie doesn't even get to live, which like... <laughs> no again if we we're gonna just, be cynical here like we just
1: kill her off she's literally just a a a like plot tool for him
0: yeah 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 she's like she's a, vehicle a speed his bump. transformation she's not even yeah. a vehicle
1: she is a speed bump
0: <laughs> right it's like a blip i mean they get like six months together so she is like the vehicle through which his transformation can take place um a different article published in the New York Times, so a, quote, secular article, um, in 2002, A.O. Scott says, quote, the movie is not content to make Jamie a good girl. She must also be a martyr.
1: Oof. Oof. Yeah. Shocking that,
0: shocking that the most compelling review I read of A Walk to Remember was not from Focus on Family. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I read that and I was like, ooh, Wow. Yeah, Whew. <laughs> it's not content to make her good. She must also be a martyr.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, and that's that, that's so, there's so much more we could say about the martyr complex and the need to like kill off the thing and have true sacrifice, quote unquote, you know, in a, in a situation like this. But but without belaboring that point, it's geez.
0: Yeah, the angel, the sacrifice, all of it, you know. Um, some really small so those were the two primary things that kept coming up in these reviews is that you know um, uh, it's dangerous for Jamie to be in a relationship with Landon not to mention unbiblical um, and that the film broadly speaking it's just not Christian enough some smaller things they disliked there was a little bit of pushback here or there in the reviews about the father so um, the fact that the dad is primarily unlikable and reinforces dangerous stereotypes about fundamentalist christians especially older fundamentalist christians they saw as like the counter argument to the whole like oh it portrays christianity well like they were like some of the reviewers were saying this this uh representation of the dad it just perpetuates these these harmful ideas about what older christians are like and you know i read that and i was sort of like yeah because that's what older christians are like like i I don't
1: i mean (laughs) that's what i was thinking the entire time like but but that's that's what they are that's them
0: yeah i mean you know it's bad when like you're watching i shouldn't say you you know it's bad when i'm watching this and there are actually like many moments throughout the film where i think like the dad's actually kind of cool like for being a christian pastor in a small town like he comes around much faster than most of the dads at my home church would have so the fact that they think he's so like unlikable as a christian i'm like i thought he was actually kind of i mean at moments not great but also not the worst
1: yeah he's very controlling but again they're not they're not bothered by that part of it right like the things i have a problem with are not the same things they have a problem with um but like all told he's not anywhere near as like toxic or problematic is as i can think of specific fathers right? yeah. like not mine but i can think of specific fathers that were like 10 times worse than this
0: yeah and now their thing is that like people are going to watch this and they're going to be like see that's how christians are and it's like i don't think that people watch this and were like the father is the primary image of christianity in this film like if anything i think people would have thought it was jamie
1: right and also, didn't five so, seconds ago we talk about how good the representation was for Christians?
0: I know. This, but this was the caveat, right? It was the, right. Dad the dad could have been better. The dad could have been better. And then the second uh, smaller thing that came up was that there was a the critique that for a Christian movie, the profanity wasn't necessary. Uh, here's a snippet from a plugged-in online article review. Quote, there are two dozen profanity. Half of them are S-words oh, that, litter no. the di- that litter the dialogue of Landon and his buddies they aren't gratuitous in that they are used to provide contrast between Jamie she never swears and her worldly classmates but they will make it difficult for many families to get through the early minutes minutes of
1: minutes. the film
0: where most of the foul language is confined i a lot of reviews also say that although the language is disappointing at least no one takes god's name in vain
1: oh my god that, that's there one of those are also things no that F-words. That, that's one of the things that baffles me right this person is the worst of the worst they're terrible they hate god they're just disgusting and they kick in the door and go well golly gee i'm flustered today <laughs> For... come on I know, have some I love guts this like
0: this is like a group of teenagers who were like willing to have another kid like jump off a platform into water and potentially paralyze himself. But like they wouldn't swear. Right. Like, but, come
1: on. Like, come on.
0: You either got to write an accurate story or you don't write it at all. So exactly. I guess to be fair, the plugged in online, he did say that it was a necessary divide, but like it would piss parents off. And I do remember a family in my church. A family in my church had some sort of, like, feature on their TV, I think, that edited... No, what am I envisioning? No, it's, possible. uh, I, it's, was it, it was,
1: like, called Angel something? Angel View? Angel
0: TV or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, And you send your VHSs in, and they edit out all the things that you want them to edit out for you.
0: Oh, is that what it was?
1: I know okay. that's a thing that I knew families did. We're going to have to look into that one because.
0: Yeah, let's do an episode on that because there was like a family that I went to church with. And when I would go to their, their house and watch films, like even things as like benign as like Napoleon Dynamite had these like weird slices. throughout. There the were film. so
1: many families that I knew that had like, like vocal issues with Napoleon Dynamite.
0: <laughs> we should do Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so weird. Um. So anyway, oh, and that brings me to this. So all of these issues, though, well, not all, but the majority of them were remedied when in 2003, they decided to release a family edited version of A Walk to Remember. So in this version, it strips the film down to a G-rated, maybe not officially, but like essentially a G-rating. So I did not watch this version of the film, but I'm assuming that means all swear words in the beginning part of the film are cut out I'm assuming the bikini photo is cut out or you just don't see it and there's a couple maybe very 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 slight sexual jokes that one of the friends makes that I think is cut out
1: yeah I don't think they're slight sexual jokes I think they're just bad sexual jokes like they're not like quality bad not content bad
0: true I guess I was thinking slight in the sense that I'm not sure if I watched them at 12 I would have known what he was talking about
1: He was humping a chair.
0: Yeah, there. Yeah, there was that. There was that. (laughs) While Switchfoot plays in the (laughs) background.
1: Yes. Like. I mean, I'll accept that complaint.
0: All right, you're gonna give it. You're gonna give that
1: one to them. I'll give that one to them. I was insulted more on like a comedy craft level. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Like this is just bad comedy here. Um. Yeah. Also, giving those Um, lines to the. only black character felt wrong but that's another conversation we can't even begin to start
0: yeah there's a lot to unpack there Mm -hmm. um okay so in closing some of the complaints some of those complaints i i just read i think they're all relatively predictable you even guessed one of them but one of the most interesting interesting things i saw was the pushback against the critique if that makes sense so all right we're getting very meta here yeah, yeah, there's this discourse of like the critique, and then there's the other Christians responding to the Christian critique. So, for example, Louis Sagara in Movie, Guide, in Movie Guide objected to the critical reactions and basically urged Christians to lighten up <laughs> and acknowledge the, acknowledge the victory of having any Christian-themed film at all. Um, Nick, could you read the um, final passage I have in the document?
1: Evangelicalism is going to have to mature and not have automatic knee-jerk reactions if we ever plan to use such a wonderful medium as the big screen for the cause of our Savior. The reason why Christians are, on the average, not portrayed in a positive light in movies is simple. On the average, movie writers, directors, producers, and actors are, on average, not religious. They are alien to us, our message. So all they know is caricatures. It's no left-wing conspiracy. It's simple ignorance. It's our job, not theirs, to present ourselves and our message of Christ. What do you think of that? Uh, If he said on average one more time, I was going to (laughs) scream. But also, like, no. Not all they know know is... Yeah, yeah, no. All they know is caricatures. No. There's almost it's almost impossible in this country to not know a christian yeah yeah right like we're still at like christians are still at like 70 percent 65 percent at least stated something something crazy
0: yeah and keeping in mind that this review was written in the early 2000s so i mean whatever percentages of christians now it's even higher you know back then it's like um, no, so... it's not
1: all they know is care. They know people. Like they're portraying what they see. Like if he pivoted this into, like, hey guys, maybe we should take this as a like a moment of introspection. Mm-hmm. That I could get behind. It's one of those you came to the right conclusion. Grow the fuck up, but yeah, you didn't use it correctly or get there mm-hmm. the right way. I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on some level, it's like this felt like the most rational thing I read today beyond the New York Times piece about Jamie being a martyr. Um, right. This almost felt like the most rational thing, which was basically like, hey, guys, chill. Like, we're lucky we got anything at all. You know, it's not a movie's job to, like, witness. It's yours. Um, I could see me as a Christian being convinced by this critique and being like, yeah, that's true. You know. Um, but I mean, so that was the ex- yeah
1: yeah Yeah. but i mean what does it say that the most rational of the christian critiques is still largely irrational yeah or at least largely unfounded i don't know whatever word you want to use it's still wrong (laughs) like
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that was the extent of the pushback which was you know there was critique and then there was people basically being like we, you know, we, ha- we don't often see representations of Christians in film. And when we do, they're not primarily positive. So we should probably just like delight in this and not be big Debbie Downers, you know, and all of that. So that's a walk to remember. Um, I think there's a lot more we could probably say. Um, I wasn't entirely sure what direction to go in this episode because again, it's not like it's a canon work um for our era and our the church at the time um in light of something like a, you know classic dc talk or something it feels very fringe but i'm interested in occasionally doing these kinds of artifacts i think it's very fascinating to look back now and see these texts that kind of bridged had one foot in the secular and one foot in the christian and see how they kind of came about and how they were received and processed and the controversies surrounding them and kind of picking apart some of those controversies and asking like, were they even controversies? Um, I really enjoyed that. So I hope that you were all like cool with, you know, an episode that was maybe not like our classic kind of artifact.
1: I totally agree with you. I think this is fun. I think, um, you know, this is something for everybody to sort of like reach out to us through our socials and let us know. Do you enjoy this kind of thing? I even could see taking this level of conversation to secular artifacts that Christians had serious reactions to. There's Mm. a couple that come to mind. Um, I won't spoil anything because that's the next episode that I'm prepping has to do with that. Uh, (sighs) But if you enjoy these sort of bridge artifacts or the secular artifacts and us discussing sort of the cultural backlash from the Christian community. Let us know. Let us know if you can think of some that were unique to your environment like Teddy and I were talking about, like sometimes it's just our local spheres that either miss a controversy or happen to really catch into it that other places didn't. So, you know, if you enjoyed it, reach out to us so that, you know, you don't miss those conversations and uh, that you can contribute to them.
0: It almost seems like we have to, at some point, talk about the artifacts that were just there as controversies because this was such a reactionary era. It was almost as if the text that Christians loved and the text that Christians hated and were against received the same amount of conversation and attention, arguably more for the latter in some ways. That's a really
1: good point. That's a really good point. I I agree with you
0: that is the culture the things we hate right like the culture at the time was you it wasn't just enough to like love the text we had like so much of the culture was like what are we against what can we stand against why do we stand against it why do we hate Harry Mm -hmm. Potter why do we hate you know um so it's taking the uh
1: in the world but not of it to sort of a militant place right like I am standing in opposition to the world i need to raise my children against what the world is trying to do to my children and we sort of see where that logically led to in the 21st century you know where we are now um but yeah a lot of that it doesn't matter what it is i'm against it kind of language
0: yeah i think it's a good justification for like occasionally checking out these kinds of narratives for sure yeah all right everyone well we hope this was memorable Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, and um, if you enjoyed the episode and don't want to miss future conversations, please follow us so that you get notifications of upcoming episode releases. You can also always interact with us between the episodes on sites like Instagram and Facebook, so make sure to search for us and chat with us in those places. And one last thing, we would be so, so grateful if you rated the podcast. It'll keep us visible. Uh, it'll help ensure that others find us and it just really really helps us out so if you wouldn't mind giving us five stars on your platform we would be so grateful thank you again for joining us on this journey of remembering and
1: talk to you soon